I, I want to just uh, mention to you this, this last message that I will be preaching. This has been a year-long series uh, that I have been preaching, and uh, we are at the end of it. However, I think this message is going to land in two parts. Uh, there's just so much to talk about, uh, and it is, it is not a message that I, I enjoy preaching. I'll be honest, I do enjoy preaching, but this is one of those messages. Uh, most preachers like to steer clear of it, and unfortunately in our day and age, many preachers do, in fact, steer clear of the subject, and that is the final judgment. Uh, we don't like to talk about it because the common philosophy in our world today has been and is... That God is a God of love. And certainly we know that. We know that the Bible reveals that God is love, part of his nature uh, and his attributes. Who, what makes him up is that of love. <clears throat> but we also have to remember that the Bible reveals other things about God that are equally true. And one of them is that they refer, the Bible all through scripture refers to him as the judge. Going back, if you were to do a particular search in the Bible for the times where he is known as the judge, you go back into the Old Testament to find that. You find that, in fact, he is the judge of all the earth. And it also reveals another part of his character and his attributes is that he is absolutely holy. He's not holy in the sense that you and I understand holiness. Uh, unfortunately, Mankind has distorted the view of holiness and what holiness really is. Today, hopefully, with the help of the Lord, I want to talk about this subject. And like I mentioned, might extend this message next week as well into next week because I believe with all my heart we need to understand the absolute temporary nature of human life and the fact that though we are here temporarily on this earth, that every single soul has been created to live for all of eternity. You need to know that. That though you might go into a box that then goes into the ground, you have to understand that that, brothers and sisters, is not the end. And this message today, if for nothing else, for those here today who are believers, and I trust that everyone under the sound of my voice today is a believer in Christ, but if you are not, I need you to sit up and listen. I need you to hear me today. From the very youngest to the very oldest, you need to hear this message. I take no pleasure in preaching this kind of a message today. But we need to hear the fact that our lives, though they are temporary on earth, you will live forever somewhere. And it is your choice as to where you will live. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. And we're going to start reading at verses 11 and go down through to verse 15. The book of Revelation is called Revelation, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ as it was revealed to the Apostle John when he was uh, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, God 
revealed things to, to John that were remarkable and amazing. Uh, the book of Revelation has, is a, a fascinating book. And in fact, the Bible lets us know that there is an added blessing or there is a blessing for those who read this book and obey this book. And so I encourage you, I realize there might be some things that are difficult to understand in it, but nonetheless, there is a blessing there. Today, I believe that God is going to help us to understand what it is that he shows to us about him being the judge. And let's start reading at verse 11. And the Bible says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. These verses describe the final event of human history, the final judgment that will come at the end of all time. It's an interesting picture when you see how John writes it, that earth and sky fled away. Vanished in a second, gone instantly. Now the only thing that exists, the only thing that is there for all of mankind, both great, the Bible says, both great and small, to see is this one thing. This great white throne appear with someone sitting upon it. We're going to get into this in just a few moments as to who that someone is. But this is God putting the period at the end of the sentence. It is his finishing touch on all of mankind. And it is here, brothers and sisters, that we read about a matter that is absolutely serious. You might say, well, you know, life has, has me down and I'm discouraged and I have a lot of things that are going on in my life and I get consumed with all of that. But can we just pause for a minute and can we recognize that the word of God is absolutely true and that when we see what is written in the word of God, we have to understand that there is more to this life than the mundane things that you and I deal with on a daily basis. I'm not trying to belittle your troubles or your problems or the things that you're going through. All I'm trying to get us to understand today is what you are going through is but a blip on the radar screen. It is just a drop in the bucket of all of eternity that is yet ahead but brothers and sisters it is this one event that mankind will come down to have to deal with we look at this and we realize 
Today, the great provision that Jesus Christ made on the cross. We talk about what Jesus did for all of us. We talk about the fact that he died on the cross for our sins. That he bore our sins upon himself. And when he did and he gave up his life, that precious blood that flowed from his veins there upon that cross as it fell to the ground, as it stained that wood that he hung upon, it was that precious blood that provided a way of escape from having to deal with with this final judgment. Brothers and sisters, you can escape this final judgment. You absolutely can escape. What we look at right now is the darkest hour of human history. This is the Supreme Court of the universe. In this moment, all the lost will be judged and after the verdict is read, it will be final. There will be no appeals. There will be no appealing to a higher power because the higher power sits in that moment as the judge of mankind. And all of those who are lost will have to stand before him and confess that Jesus is Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the end of it all right here. This is where... Those that you work with who make fun of your Christianity, who poke fun at the things that you believe. This is where those who have stood in the place of national fame and media and said, we are bigger than Jesus Christ. We are bigger than the church. They've stood in the place where they said, you know, those religious right, they're just a bunch of crazy nuts. They're just a bunch of people trying to get and mold us into a moral place. But brothers and sisters, on that day, there will be no pride there will be no national media there will be nobody that will be ever be able to think that they can stand in the presence of God and thumb their noses at him no one will ever be able to do that I realize that this is not politically correct some simply don't believe it You don't have to believe it. This is the thing that God did for us. He created us with a will. You can choose not to believe anything that I am saying today. You can absolutely choose not to. But just because you don't believe it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Just because you don't believe it does not mean that it is not true. I want to look today at some of the aspects of the great judgment, that final judgment. First, I want to look at today the courtroom. I then want to look at the judge and then also the accused. Let's take a look at the courtroom and see what it looks like. The Bible says in verse 11 of Revelation 20, it says, Then I saw a great white throne. Great White throne, these three words, great white throne, represent three important things. First, it is great, which speaks of power. Whenever you look at the idea of there being a throne, you obviously understand the concept of power. But the Bible uses this adjective, this adjective of great. It was common among uh, among people who believed in other gods that if those gods had thrones that they were not just small thrones that it wasn't just sort of the throne of a king but that it would be something that would be greater in expanse and larger in fact there are those who believed and we read a lot about the god 
Baal, the false god Baal in the Bible, there are those who believe that Baal had a very large throne. We know that Baal was no god at all. We understand that from Scripture, but there were those who believed that. So here we understand that this throne is great. It is not only large, but we understand that this adds to it the idea and the concept that the one who is sitting on it has absolute all power. If there is anything that we have come to to understand about God in Scripture and about His character and His nature and His attributes, it is that He is omnipotent. That is, He is all-powerful, that God has all power. Now, we take great pleasure in that idea. We we come to understand, listen, I I know that God is all-powerful. That means that in my life, He can accomplish great things. And we get excited about that truth. We get excited about that fact. But here the fact that his throne is great lends itself to the idea that he is powerful enough to carry out the judgment that is about to be handed down. The lost are standing before the throne. And there is that sense of incredible power as they stand before this great throne. There should be a sense of awe as well and reverence. And there are people who talk about God in such a flippant manner. They talk about the final judgment and they talk about all of these things in such a flippant way. I remember doing uh, back a, a few months ago doing some research on a particular philosopher by the name of Bertrand Russell. This was for a class that I was doing and completing through my alma mater at Zion and, and realized that, and, and I was doing some research and found an interview. This guy was born, had, was, had been born when Ulysses Grant was president and he lived all the way into the 60s. And I found an interview that was done with him in the 60s. And they said, you know, you, you're an agnostic. He hadn't come out quite fully and said he is a, you know, he is an atheist, but he certainly lent, lent his, his mind to that. But in that way, the, 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 the interview went in such a way. I don't know what's happening, but don't worry about it. We'll just close doors or do what we have to do. Just everybody look this way. There's noise. We don't know if it's coming through the sound system or from downstairs, wherever, but don't worry about it. Let everybody look this way. All right. I know that, that this, in this interview, the interviewer asked him, he said, you know, you're an agnostic. You, you don't believe that God exists, or if you think that he does, you're not really sure. He said, what would you like to say? Let's say that you get in front of God, and he is there, and all of a sudden you realize he exists. What would you say to him? And with this smug little smirk on his face, he said, I would say to him, sir, why did you take such great pains to hide yourself? And I thought about that for a moment, and I thought, you know, he was so smug in this interview. There's going to be a day when philosopher Bertrand Russell is going to stand before the great white throne judgment. He is going to stand at the final judgment, and he is going to bow his knee. And the smirk is going to be wiped off of his face. And that which he said in that moment is going to come flooding back. As he realized God has revealed himself ever so wonderfully through his word. Brothers and sisters, this throne, upon this throne sits somebody who is all powerful. And no matter how flippant people might be, there will be the judge of all the earth who will carry out the judgment upon them. 
person who never got saved is not going to be able to do anything but weep, tremble, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Their mind may go back to a time where they heard the message of the gospel. And this is for any young person here today who somehow thinks that you are, you are beyond all this. That you don't need all of this. And good grief, you know, you give your life to Christ. What's going to happen when you get to school and high school? What, what are your friends going to say about it? Listen, can I appeal to you today that your friends are not going to be sitting on this throne. This throne is housed by the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. What matters most is what he has to say. Listen to what the Bible says. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to these verses of Scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31. It says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse 29, it says, For our God is a consuming fire. You need to realize today that going into his presence, not knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not having been washed by the blood of the Lamb, there is only one thing, only one thing waiting for you. And it says it in another place in the book of Hebrews. It says there is only a fearful expectation of judgment. Thank you for that. Yeah. I agree with that. But I got to tell you that when we, we, we come to the place where we realize that this is no, this is no, you know, this is not a flippant topic. This is not something that we can just joke around about. This isn't something that you can, you know, when you talk to people, yes, God is absolutely a God of love, but we have to realize that also he is a holy God and he will sit as the judge of all mankind on that day. Brothers and sisters, there are so many people that are lost and without Christ. We need to realize today that he is the judge and there are those that are going to face Jesus Christ on that day. Listen, God has called us to preach a message of hope and love love and a way out of this particular day if you're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ you have nothing to fear if you have come to know Jesus as your savior you do not need to fear this courtroom scene on this particular day we see that the throne was great we see something else about it and it was this that it was white which speaks of purity this speaks of unapproachable purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this so important? It is because on that day, the people will stand before God and they'll want to say, you know, I'm a good person. Have you ever encountered somebody like that? I remember on my job when I was working a full-time secular job, I remember walking into the workplace and, you know, people knew I was a pastor. They knew I was a minister. They knew I was a Christian. You know, we get into this topic of moral discussions and right and wrong and all of that. And, and, and you know, the whole idea of being a Christian, and, you know, the, it's the common phrase. It's to appease their own conscience. I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. <laughs> good for you. You wouldn't be here if you had. <laughs> you know, I've never robbed a bank. No, I understand that. But the Bible also talks about, and Jesus says that if you hate somebody, that hatred translates into what Jesus sees as murder of the heart. Not only that, you may not have robbed the bank, but have you been greedy? 
you know, there are all these sins of the heart that we don't understand and that we, we kind of glaze over. You know, it's just a little lie, the white lie. It's just a lie to him. See, God is absolutely pure. He dwells, the Bible says, in unapproachable light. Now, on that day, he will be able to be approached because there will be a resurrection that will take place, a resurrection of the damned, of those who don't know Christ. He will resurrect them not to eternal life, but to eternal damnation. This courtroom scene that we're looking at is not a courtroom scene where somebody can possibly squeak out of it. There is no convincing, there's no changing anything on this particular day. And how do we escape? Before I go any further, for those who might be a little fearful, maybe your Christianity today is what you might call a nominal Christianity. In other words, it's the go-to-church kind of Christianity, but not necessarily live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. How can you be absolutely sure that you will escape? There is only one way, and it is this, to be bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, to give your life to Him and say, Lord, I'm going to serve you with the help of the Holy Spirit through the rest of my life. He who endures to the end shall be saved. I want you to know today that it's not just coming into church that changes things it is making sure that you are making every effort to be holy as he is holy this purity that is there the only way you or I, you or I can be pure enough to stand before God is to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ listen to Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 18 it says this come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Psalm 51 and verse 7, David prays in that great prayer of repentance. After he had sinned with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, committed murder, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We see the power, the power is great. We see the purity. It is absolutely clean and pure. But there is something else that we need to see about this throne. And the Bible says that it is simply a throne. A great white throne. Which speaks of one thing. A ruler. A ruler. He is the sovereign of all mankind. He is the sovereign over all of the universe. I realize that we are approaching now, we're getting into, it's all heating up for the next election in this country. Can I tell you as Christians, do not worry about what that election yields, what it doesn't yield. If your man got in office and you've been happy about that, wonderful. But in the end, you need to know that the one who is in charge of it all sits on this great white throne. He is the one over everything, over all the rulers of the earth. And he, brothers and sisters, is the one who will be in charge on that day when every ruler in this earth, whoever lived, will come before him and bow the knee. Listen. I don't take any pleasure in presenting to you the idea that there will be this judgment. But you need to know there will be a judgment and they will stand before this ruler. The Bible lets us know that his name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I realize today that you go to a workplace where his name is dragged through the mud. 
You go to a place in your building, maybe you live next to neighbors who you, you hear they're cursing and they're swearing and they, you know, their anger and their resentment and all of that. And you know what? The name of Jesus gets dragged through the mud. But on that day, on that day, there's going to be no mud. There's gonna, nobody's going to be dragging his name through the mud, but instead on that day we have that vivid scene that Paul presents to us in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will bow before this great throne where Jesus sits. The Bible lets us know in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 it says the latter part of that verse is God. The blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords. Can I encourage you today, put him on the throne of your heart today. Put him on the throne of your heart so you don't have to worry on this great day what will take place. But instead, you will stand simply as an observer realizing that you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The last phrase of verse 11 says about the earth and the sky. It says this. It says there was no place for them. The earth and sky fled and there was no place for them. What does the Bible say about men who do evil deeds? It's done in the dark. That's why the Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They get to hide in the dark. All the darkness at this point is gone. We remember the story of Adam and Eve, how it was that when they sinned, they hid themselves in the garden. We understand that God came looking for them, which to me was the greatest act of mercy in all of Scripture. Two people, think about this for a minute, two people living on the earth at that moment, and God comes looking for them. It ought to let us know how much God really loves us, how much, how much he really cares for us. If he would go looking for two people that he made, how much more you and I now today, he loves those who have been created in his image. But there was, they hid themselves. They did their best. But you know what? On that day, there are going to be no trees to hide behind. There are going to be no alleys to duck into. There's going to be no darkness. There is nothing, absolutely nothing is going to be there for mankind to hide from. You will not be able to hide from anything. But instead, in that moment, it will be made vivid and clear what your life has been about, what you have chosen, and what you have rejected. And in that moment, the books are opened. And that, brothers and sisters, is the moment of absolute truth. You remember Jonah, when God told Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. You know, what did he do? He went the other way, and he got on a boat headed for the opposite direction, headed for Tarshish. And the Bible lets us know that Jonah got on the boat, and he went down below, and he went to sleep. He went and hid, thinking, God's never going to find me under the hull of this boat. He's not going to, you know, God, you spoke to me in my tent. You can see through tents, but you can't see through the wood of this boat. I don't know what he was thinking, but he, he's, you know, he's hiding. He's going the opposite direction, doing the opposite thing, thinking God is not going to find me. It's, you know, it's like you, you look at the story of Jonah and you get the picture of, you know, the two-year-old who's playing hide and seek and they're, you know, they turn around and do this against the wall and they think because they can't see you 
you can't see them. And we play with them. We talk, where'd they go? Where'd they go? Can't find them anywhere. You know, and then we end up finding them. You know, God doesn't play the game with us. When we're running the opposite direction, he knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where you've hidden, but on that day, there are going to be no boats to hide on. There's going to be nowhere to run, nowhere to hide on that particular day in that courtroom. Why? Because the Bible says earth and sky fled away and there was no place for them. I want to look at the judge. Who is the judge? John said he saw in verse 11 him who was seated on the throne or on it. Who is this judge of the universe? It's not the Father. The Father will carry out the judgment through Jesus Christ. Turn with me and I want you to see this John chapter 5 and verse 22. John chapter 5 and verse 22. John chapter 5 verse 22. The Bible says this, moreover, the Father judges no one, but in, has entrusted all judgment to the Son. This is the meek and lowly Jesus, as the hymn goes. This is the sweet, gentle Savior. This is the one that we see who said, and, and John said about him that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But on this day, he will no longer be the Lamb. The Lamb will have accomplished his mission at that point. The Lamb will have accomplished everything that the Lamb was sent to do. Now the Lamb is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who will be the judge of all mankind. The Redeemer is now the ruler. The Savior is now the sovereign. Jesus is the one who sits on the throne. And here's why. The Bible lets us know. You don't need to turn there, but listen to Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So judgment is going to come through Jesus Christ. Can we, let's go back over to Revelation, shall we? I want to just read this real quickly. Revelation chapter 19. And I want you to see now who Jesus is and what it is that he looks like. Because for most of us, we have the artist's conception of what Jesus looked like, right? You know, the sort of gentle glow behind his head. You know, the long hair, the beard. Remember how we, we often picture Jesus as somebody somehow in their heads got in their minds that this is probably what Jesus looked like. I don't know where they got that. We don't understand that from Scripture. But nonetheless, that is the picture. Let's picture this. Revelation 19. Starting at verse 11, the Bible says, I saw heaven open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. 
and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus that is being described. The Bible says in verse 14, the armies of heaven uh, were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the Lamb of God, but now he is the judge. Now he is the ruler. Now he is the one who will carry out judgment on the nations, not countries, but peoples of different nations all over the world that judgment will come upon them he is the judge for those who will only come on Easter or maybe they'll only come to church on Christmas you need to know that's not enough to get you into the kingdom in fact coming to church no more makes you a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac there is no way in the world that transformation takes place just by showing up. It is we've got to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. I, I admonish you, I encourage you, confess now so that you don't have to confess then. Confess now that he is Lord. Give him your all now and, and allow him to take control of your life now. Live for him now so that later on you don't have to stand in fear on this great day of judgment. There was a man one day who was out swimming in a lake. And this particular man, all of a sudden, he was not a bad swimmer. Wasn't a great swimmer, but not a bad swimmer. All of a sudden, got a cramp. One of his muscles. And that was it. He started to go under. And he was flailing and flailing for help. And the splashing upon the lake was there. And, and all of a sudden, there was a man in a fishing boat that saw him, came by, dove into the water and pulled the man to safety. The man didn't find out much about his rescuer. But about a year later, this particular man who had almost drowned got in some legal trouble. And he walked into the courtroom one day and as he sat there waiting for the judge to appear, all of a sudden the... the the bailiff says, all rise, and everybody rose, and the honorable so-and-so will now preside, and the judge walks in, and the man looked, and oh, was he ever relieved. And he says, oh, excuse me, your honor. He says, boy, am I glad to see you. You see, the judge had been the man to rescue this guy out of the lake a year earlier. The judge looked at him and that particular day, and he says, you know, it doesn't matter that I saved you a year ago. Today, I am your judge. You need to recognize that Jesus Christ has made every provision for you to be rescued from the wallowing sin that you might be involved in.
He has made every, every means possible for you to escape out of that miry clay, as the, the psalmist put it, and to be dragged out to safety and to be pulled to safety so that on that day when this courtroom opens, you will not have to fear. Brothers and sisters, we know this, that when we have the blood of Jesus covering us, we are not in trouble on this great day, but instead we stand victorious victorious with that great number who will be with us. We see the courtroom. We see the judge. And the last thing I want you to see today is the accused. Look at the first part of verse 12. It says, and I saw the dead, great and small. This is all the big shots and the little shots. The up and comers and the down and outers. The CEO and the lowest of hired employees. The professors and the uneducated. The kings and the homeless. They all stand accused on that day if they die without Jesus Christ as Savior. Every single one of them. I don't care what kind of degree you got. I don't care how good you have been. I don't care how much of a philanthropist you might have been and you've given back to the community and you've helped the community and you've been a community leader and you've done all of these wonderful things and you've tried to educate people. You've worked with kids in the inner city. You've done all of these things. On that day, none of that washes with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. On that day, you will stand accused for one reason alone because you chose to reject the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today that I'm begging you, please, young and old alike, do not leave this building in that state. You say, well, you know, and, and, and I know that people make fun of religion because of some of these truths and some of these doctrines that we've been preaching all through the year. The educated will come along and they'll have some quick little answer, some little thing that they'll say and it'll throw us off guard and we'll get all worried and shaken about our faith. Can I tell you today, don't allow your, your faith to be shaken by anything because on that day it will be those who decided to reject Jesus Christ who will be standing in fear on that great day, on that final judgment. Look, folks, this is no time for you and I to mess around. This is no time for us to have messy lives. It's not a time for you and I to somehow come to the place where we say, you know, but I want more out of life. I want to do my own thing, and then you know what? Later on, I'll give my life to Christ. That is one of the, the fallacies of youth. Later on, it's going to happen. Later on, I'll give my life to Jesus Christ. Revelation 20 and verse 13 says this, The sea gave up the dead that were in it. This is the second resurrection. You and I go in the first resurrection. We believe in Christ. We go in that first resurrection where Paul states in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he lets us know that, that the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet them, the Lord in the air and will always be with him. But this is a second resurrection. And this is a resurrection of the lost. The sea gave up their dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. 
There are two words for hell in Scripture. One of them is Hades, and the other is Gehenna. That word Hades literally means simply a prison or what might be termed as or seen as a temporary holding cell, a holding place. So here what we have is the sea giving up their dead, assuming that many have died at sea and also in other places. They are resurrected at that moment and now their spirit, soul, and body come together for everlasting punishment. And they are thrown into, not Hades, Gehenna, which is a lake of fire. That word for hell that fire, that everlasting fire that will burn for all of eternity, that is where they are sent. Death and hell give up the body. Death and Hades give up the body. And in that moment, they are reunited with their soul. And now they are joined together to face this final judgment. There are four groups of people at the great throne judgment, white throne judgment. Sinners. The ones who hate God, who don't mind speaking out against God. They hate church. They hate God. They don't believe the Bible. They're in your face about it. They will argue left and right that God didn't create anything, that it all just sort of happened out of this big primordial soup, and somehow there was this you know, event that took place in the past, and there is no God. There is no intelligence. There is no, nothing, no, nobody out there that has been active in humanity. They will hate your religion. They, they'll come at you with a vengeance and try to push you away. It is those that will be standing on this particular day. There are also on this particular day not just the sinners, but the self-righteous. The self-righteous, they think that they'll go to heaven because they had a good life. You know, I didn't kill anybody, not thieves, not murderers. I, I haven't done anything bad like that, you know. I'm not that bad of a guy. I'm not that bad of a woman. And yet, there are no big sins and little sins with God. It's just sin. God doesn't have the degrees that you and I make of sin. Sin is simply sin to Him. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. No self-righteous person can ever claim that God should allow them into heaven. It's not about your righteous acts. It is about what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you and for me, and do we accept that for ourselves? Can I encourage those today? Here's somebody else today who will be at the great white throne judgment and will stand in fear. And it is the slow deciders. They know that they need to get saved. They want to get saved. And you know what? They're going to get saved. Someday. Those last fatal words. Later. I'll give my life to Christ. I don't know how many young people have said that and gone into a Christless eternity simply because they were slow to decide. 
I don't know how many people after hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ decided in that moment, I believe this to a point. This is good for me, but not now. Later. And later never comes for them. You say, you know, Pastor, really, seriously, you're going to go that route with me? You, you know, you're, you're trying to scare me. Well, listen to what the Bible says. It says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, And just as it has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. But notice that one word, it says today. Don't harden your heart. Because if you reject what you're hearing today, you need to know that what's happening on the inside is there is a hardness that is taking place. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you're 40. Because you know what? By that time, you have already established how you think, how the way your life is going to go, and you're going to have less time for God then than you do now. Later. It's the people who decided that at that moment that, no, you know what, down the road somewhere, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. These are the individuals who stand before God on that day and will stand at the great, great white throne judgment and be so fearful because they'll know what's coming. Now here's the last challenge. Those who will be at the great white throne judgment, the Sunday churchgoers, the ones who have their name on the church roll, but not in the Lamb's book of life, who think that somehow my presence in church certainly makes me feel better, so certainly God is impressed. Certainly God accepts that I'm here, and therefore I'm on my way to heaven. Look, folks, just because you arrived in this building today does not mean you're on your way to heaven. It does not mean that you will not be standing at this particular judgment. The, the only way to escape it, we've said it before, let me say it one more time. The only way to escape this final judgment is for you and I to come to an altar of repentance and say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of the things that I do, the choices that I make. And repentance is not just somehow saying, well, God, you know, I, I feel bad about that. I'm really sorry. And then you turn around and go back to, to do the same thing. No, repentance is you're walking in one direction and you turn resolutely and you walk in the other direction and you don't turn back to the mess. You repent of your sin, give your life to Jesus Christ and by faith accept what he did for you on the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, church isn't going to save you. Jesus said you must be born again. How about you? You fit into any one of these groups today? I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to stand in fear on that great day. I want to stand knowing that I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that what he did for me on the cross of Jesus, what he did for me there on that day a couple thousand years ago changed my life. And you can know that beyond any doubt in your mind whatsoever. I end with this. 
Sub Sunday, February the 18th, 2001. And I remember listening to, uh, as I would do from time to time, and listen to sports radio. I remember this was all over the place on sports radio. NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt, who was known as the intimidator in his races, was in third place on the last lap of the Daytona 500 when a car hit him from behind and sent him into a wall at 180 miles an hour. An autopsy revealed that Earnhardt died of a blunt trauma to the head. And some have suggested that if Earnhardt had been wearing the hands, the head and neck safety device that had just kind of come into NASCAR racing at that time, he would have survived the crash. Although this device was available to him, Earnhardt, like many other drivers that day, chose not to use it. That neglect cost him his life. The Bible tells us that every individual is on a collision course for God's judgment. God has provided a safety device designed to keep people from suffering eternal death and eternal separation from him. But like Dale Earnhardt and so many other drivers in that race on that day, each of us has to decide whether to accept this offer. It's available. Some of the stupidest decisions that have been made have been those where safety has been offered and those have decided to do their own thing and laugh in the face of safety. I'm here letting you know this is not about a physical injury that you could avoid. This is not even necessarily about physical life and death. But I'm talking about something infinitely of greater value than that, and it is eternal life or death. The Bible says that the gospel has been held out. The word of life has been held out to you and I. And it is still the power of God unto salvation. That you can escape this great judgment. I believe with all my heart that you and I have come to the place where we have to recognize that though we might be saved in this place, though we might have given our lives to Christ, there are so many in this city. As many churches as there are, the city is on its way to hell. The city is on a collision course for judgment in the presence of God. Look, we, we get hung up on, you know, what church is this and what church is that. There are so many flavors of churches. You can make your rounds all through the city. Until you find the one that fits right for you. And that's fine. But I'm here to let you know that it's not about finding a church. It is about finding eternal, eternal life in Him. So that on this particular day, you don't have to fear the great judgment. You don't have to fear. Can we bow our heads and just close our eyes?